Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Could the Premier League be decided tonight? Manchester City will be champions again and retain their crown if Southampton beat Liverpool tonight. A win or a draw for the Reds and they keep the race alive until the very final day of the season. We'll look ahead to that game tonight and we'll look back at yesterday's Monday Night Football where Arsenal fumbled fourth. They lost 2-0 to Newcastle at St James's Park to hand the Champions League bat on to the other half of North London. Tottenham now in pole position, but even with a single game to go, you can't rely on Spurs not to shirk it. One player who doesn't often miss opportunities, though, is Bayern Munich's Robert Lewandowski. Could he be set for a top-flight switch this summer? It would be a statement signing, but even that would be eclipsed by Jose Mourinho potentially returning to the Premier League. A possibility, according to some newspapers today. We'll get the lowdown on that one later. What a Premier League season it's been. The title's still on the line. The top four is still on the line. Relegation still on the line. And we'll be across it all here on the only daily Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. Welcome along. My name's Niall and with me today, two men whose respective sides have got nothing to play for, something Marley Anderson is delighted about and something Joel Tudor is depressed about. Morning, lads. I'm not depressed about it anymore because you know why? The season's <laughs> finally over soon. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. One final hurdle against Crystal Palace on Sunday though, Joel. Are you sure you can stomach <laughs> a big, it? big, big hurdle. I don't know, I don't know. It's just it's going to be a nice celebration that conclude the season. As for Marley, this time five months ago, mate, we were talking about you possibly finishing bottom of the Premier League and now you look like you could even finish 10th, 11th, something like that? Yeah, buzzing. Um, it's been quite a, quite a five months, to be fair. Um, I think five months ago was, was when we lost our last home game to... Uh, to Man City before before Liverpool last weekend, um, but yeah, we were we're, we're flying. I think we we was fantastic last night. I'm sure, we're going to talk about it in a bit, so I'll I'll, I'll save it for them. But I'm not uh, <laughs> well as, as Jim once described me. I'm not as dour as once what I once was. So uh, <laughs> I'm a lot more positive, and I can't can't wait for next season to be honest. And the way, the slate to be wiped clean, so we can all start afresh, and we can be a decent side who people want to watch for some reason. 
I think some of the listeners are going to miss the dour Marley Anderson from the last three seasons of doing oh, this I can show. Still be, I can still be na- <laughs> like dour about 19 other teams. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly not your own team because they got the job done last night in the Premier League. They beat Arsenal by two goals to nil at St. James's Park. Brilliant result for Newcastle. Terrible result for Arsenal. We said on yesterday's show that after the North London derby defeat, it was still in Arsenal's hands to finish in the top four in a Champions League spot, but they needed to show some character going up to the northeast and taking on the tune in Tyneside. But Newcastle were the better side, and I suppose we should come to you first, Marley. I think that even though you would be biased, I don't think many people can argue from a neutral's perspective that Newcastle United deserve to win. Oh, no, not not at all. I think it was I think it was our best performance under, under Eddie Howe since he arrived at the club. He was... Um, every man on the pitch was, was fantastic last night, except the one that didn't have to be, and that was Dubravka, because I don't think he had to make a save. I can't really remember him uh, making a save in the whole game. Um, the defending was superb. The pressing, the pressing was incredible. We never have, never give Arsenal a chance to settle on the ball and, and sort of play themselves into the game. There was, you know, there was the the press was like they barely got into our half. It was. It was incredible to watch. It really was. Um, I think at half time the, the possession stats was like sixty five, sixty six percent for Newcastle. And you know, if 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 Newcastle are involved in a game where some where one team has sixty six percent possession over the past five or six years, it's it's the opposition passing it around them, and they can't get a touch. But it just um, it's all just proof that this this squad of players can be can be coached into a really good unit, and you know that. The message we were getting from the the uh, manager at the start of the season was, you know, this this squad has nothing. It's not good enough. It's not good enough to play a more front foot based game. It's not good enough to to sit back and um, defend and hit on the counter attack. So we're playing, you know, five at the back and hoping we can nick something from a set piece or, or something like that. And you know, you're seeing the exact same group of players plus, you know, Burn and Target and Bruno. So the same group plus three um, that uh, that can turn in a performance like that, and you know Arsenal are chasing the Champions League. Yes, they were poor last night, but we made them look poor. It wasn't just Arsenal being poor; we we scared them into to not playing well, uh, not holding the ball well, not passing well, no movement, no chances, no hold up play up front from Enketia, anything. They they didn't have anything against us. Um, they couldn't hold a. a, a a flame to us at all, um, and it was, it was buzz. I was buzzing watching the match. I was kind of expecting Arsenal to have some sort of spell, but it was just like Newcastle had the the boot on the throat of Arsenal for the entire ninety minutes, and they just could not do a thing. Um, and it was it was brilliant to see because you know if Arsenal are the fifth best team in the club in the country, and we can we can impose our will on them like that, it's it's a huge sort of sign of next season of of where we could where we could finish with a couple more signings and a bit more, you know, a pre-season under our belts and stuff like that. It's a, it's a huge uh, thing to look forward to. Yeah, we'll come on to your expectations for next season shortly, but you mentioned things like the possession stats. Under Steve Bruce, I think you were lucky to get up to 30% in some games, which I think shows the yeah. turnaround in the style of play. So there's credit to Eddie Howe, which we discussed on yesterday's podcast. We did mention how, you know, Eddie Howe deserves credit for the turnaround that he's he's managed to achieve there at, at Newcastle United. But there was one moment in the game, Marley, which I think Eddie Howe would have picked up on as maybe an area for improvement. You mentioned the pressing. There was a moment where Newcastle United had a counter-attack. In fact, there was probably 
eight or nine Newcastle players behind the ball, maybe even ten. And then Arsenal had the ball sort of halfway inside Newcastle's half. They were passing it around. And there was a, a short pass. And one of the, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Bruno Gimarish, But one of the Newcastle players latched onto it and started a counter-attack. And um, they couldn't score the counter-attack in the end. It was saved by Ramsdale. But I just think that if you can turn those moments into goals... You know, there's, there's clear. It's it's quite scary to think how much Newcastle have improved, and there's still areas where you watch a game, you think they can get even better. Yeah, it was uh, it was Jacob Murphy. He'd just come off the bench. That's it. Um, yeah, and that was that. Like like you said, that was the only time I think Arsenal looked like they could do something. Um, and Murphy intercepted the pass, ran pretty much the length of the pitch, and you could tell with Murphy, he's not a natural finisher. Um, and he's uh, you could tell he was thinking. Like, what do I do with this? Because there was one one defender against two attackers, and he played the one-two with, uh, with I think it was Fraser, and uh, it came back to him. And he's ended up just just lacing it at Ramsdale, and it was it was mm. a bit poor. And you do think like in yeah. the summer, Murphy will probably be the one. Like, he might not leave the club, but he won't get as many games as he has done this season. I think we'll we'll probably bring in another winger. Um, and you could think as well if that was Sad Maximan, you know, he, he probably just runs away and, and sticks it in. And if it's Wilson on the other side as well, you know. Um, but unfortunately, I think they've both gone off at that point. But um, that's why Murphy was on. But he did well to intercept yeah. it. It just made me think the best the best teams score those kind of yeah. moments, don't they? Yeah, they do. And yeah. obviously, it shows that there's area areas to improve for Newcastle. No, no doubt about that. But I thought that they were very, very good value for the win last night, Joel. You know, as we mentioned, Gimarish, Wilson, Sam Axeman, they were all excellent. I wanted to ask Marley about what next season's targets are for Newcastle. But before we do, how much of a blow is that result for Arsenal? I mean, I think the table only needs to give you that answer, Joel, really, doesn't it? They've dropped into fifth and now pole position in terms of a Champions League finish is over to Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, I think with this game, the most telling thing for me was if you would have put a random person in front of a TV and said, watch this game and tell me who's the team fighting for top four and who's the team whose season's pretty much, there's nothing left to fight for. And every single person would have said Newcastle. And I think that's the most alarming thing for Arsenal. The fact that, like Marley said, and even Arteta said as well, they had nothing. In every single area of the game, they did did not look threatening at all. And when you saw Newcastle where... Um, they played with such motivation, and everyone was going to a man, and there was like they were pressing, and Arsenal just seemed like a bit of a deer in headlights. And it's the Arsenal that we've all grown to love in the last few years, which is the one which seems to capitulate completely when it seems like they have it in their control. And even though in the last few weeks, you know, they got really good wins against Chelsea, they got a good win against Manchester United. They always just feel like that side who have got that moment in them which completely undo undoes every step forward. And now they're in a situation where they spent, you know, over two hundred and fifty million under Arteta. Um and they got absolutely schooled by their rivals last week at Tottenham big time. And now they're in a position where they had top four pretty much in their hands for a good amount of time and now Tottenham have just stole it off them. And that's going to be so damaging for them, especially in terms of what players they want to attract in the summer. Um, and basically the outlook for Arteta is not is very bleak because... But it's only one result whole- though, isn't it? I mean, it, well, it's not one result. I mean, we mentioned on yesterday's podcast that when they last lost a game at the start of April, they went on a three-game losing streak where they lost to Palace first and then they went and lost the next two to Brighton and Southampton. And, you know, they've done something similar where they've lost to Tottenham 
and then they've gone and lost to Newcastle the next game. And I suppose at the start of the season, if you spoke to Arsenal fans, considering how the season before had gone, would they have taken fifth place? If you had said to Arsenal fans when they were bottom of the league going into the first international break of the season, minus nine goal difference, zero points, worst ever start to a season. If you had said to a Gunners fan, would you take fifth at the end of the season? I think they would have bitten your hand off. But does it show how expectations can shift during a season that now because they've dropped out of the top four, all of a sudden it's doom and gloom and disaster again? Yeah, but I think that's just the problem right there. Why should you accept fifth at the start of the season? Because it's it's Arsenal still. They should still be feeling like they can definitely um, attempt to get into that top four. And they've had the quality to do it this season, as they've as they've shown. I know they had a big blip at the start of this at the start of the year, but I mean, it's not really how you start; it's how you go on after that. And I think that if you if you consistently accepting our oh, fifth's okay for this year you know, we'll try and get into the top four next year. What are you doing as a football club, really? Because they spent a, they spent the most of any club last summer. Granted, it was players who were a lot of potential players, young players, they needed a bit of bedding in time. But then even when you look at Tottenham, how bad they were at the start of the year, let's not forget that. They've gone through another manager. Nuno was an absolute disaster at the start of the year. Tottenham looked completely out of it. And now Conte's completely turned it around has actually got a solid system in place. He's a manager who knows what he wants, what system he wants to play, what players he wants. And now, you know, Tottenham look twice the side Arsenal do, if I'm honest. Even though there's only two points between them, Tottenham just look like the more mature side, they look like the side who have got a bit more going for them. Uh, they have a plan. And even though Tot- uh, Arsenal do look like they have a plan in terms of, you know, bedding in these young players, it just looks like the same kind of Arsene Wenger, Wenger side that we've seen in the last few years where... They look like a decent side sometimes, but when it rains, it pours at Arsenal. And like you say, they went on like three consecutive defeats. That's done them pretty much. Um, And again, now they're probably going a domino. Well, there's only two games left for them, but it's over for them. The season's pretty much over. And they've shot themselves in the foot massively with that. And yesterday just showed. Well, Tottenham have got Norwich on the final day of the season. And stranger things have happened. And we know Tottenham have got a tendency to bottle things when they shouldn't really do so. But Norwich, you'd expect them to see off a team who are going to go down or already are relegated this season. But stranger things have happened. Depressing night for Arsenal to lose 2-0 against Newcastle. But I wanted to talk about Mikel Arteta because Joel says, Marley, that it's kind of a bleak outlook for him now with that result. Certainly in terms of where they finish this season, because I'm sure even though they'll be back in Europe, they would have been wanting Champions League seeing as they got themselves into a good position. But it was announced last week by Arsenal that Mikel Arteta's actually signed a new contract. What do you make of the timing of that? Was it poorly timed? Should Arsenal have waited it out until the end of the season? Did they jump the gun a little bit and maybe announce the contract signing when the club was still in fourth and perhaps they should have waited till the end of the season? Or does it really matter? Are Arsenal going in the right direction and therefore Arteta deserved a new deal? What do you think? Um, it's a it's a solid point. You maybe maybe you should have waited to the end of the season, but I look after the game last night. There was an there was an awful lot of you know what what's wrong at Arsenal? What's you know what's uh, what where are they going? What are they doing? Are they going in the right direction? You know uh, what went wrong tonight? You know are they are they done? Are they finished? It was like it was like they got like you know they were battling for relegation. It it was bizarre in my opinion because. Arsenal last year finished eighth, which was horrendous. Outside of of, of any European competition, um, they had the the 
rumours and, and stuff hanging over them with Aubameyang and, and maybe Lacazette leaving, that's turned out to, to be finished and, and sorted now one way or the other, so they've, they, you know, they're both going to leave the club off. In Lacazette's case, gonna leave, and in Aubameyang's case, has already left. Um, last year they came eighth with I think it was sixty-one points, um, and four points off sixth. This year they've got sixty-six points with a game remaining, and the fifth, and they're gonna play Europa League next season, which is well at a minimum because Spurs could still balls it up and Arsenal could still nick a win on the last day. But let's just assume they're in the Europa League. That's that's progress. That's a, a problem solved in Aubameyang. Um, it's a problem solved in the long-term vision of the club that Arteta's going to be there and there's no questions um, hanging over him. And there's progress in the fact that they're going to play twice a week next season. And I think if they got Champions League this season, I think this team would get found out big time. I think it could be really damaging because, as, we, as we've mentioned all season, it's it's a very, very young Arsenal squad, this. Um, and they are going to lose games, which... They looked poor in. Um, I remember saying this a couple of couple of months ago. You know, they they will do things that naive players do, and that's go away from home to a, a raucous atmosphere and a club playing well, and they'll fold. Like that's just what happens with with young players. They can't be so talented that they win every game. That that never ever happens. So these these defeats, in my opinion, make Arsenal stronger in the future. It, they really do. Um, the likes of. Enketia, Martinelli, Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Saka, even White, who's not that experienced in terms of like Premier League football, and Gabriel, you know, early twenties, Ramsdale, early twenties. They're all very, very young young lads. They need the experience of losing almost to make them stronger in the future. Um and I think this this season has still been a good one. I think Arsenal Arsenal's fan base typically is incredibly reactionary, as as most fan bases are, to be honest. Um, but I think on the grand scheme of things, you know they've won. Looking at the 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 table now, they've won twenty one games this season. They won't. They only won eighteen last season. They've lost the same amount of games as last season as well. But the difference comes in the draws. I think they lost seven last season. They've only lost three. Uh, they've only drawn three this season, which just uh, just suggests a little bit of a, a lack of steel. And the lack of steel, when you you know you walk, you go one 0 down, for example, um, you you tend not to come back, and that again comes from being a young, a young squad and it, lacking a bit of experience. And you know it was there was a stat last night actually that that Sky Sports popped up on um, after Newcastle's first goal, and it said that Arsenal away from home in the Premier League have not have not so much as even scored a goal after going behind. In uh, in the Premier League this season, so and it was that that is massive. That if ever a start said this is a young team that doesn't know how to how to dig in and, and grit yeah. and fight, it, it's that. But you can understand that with the with the players that they've got. I mean, I think I saw an Arsenal fan yesterday on social media suggest that against the big clubs, and we're factoring in Newcastle into that because it's fifty two thousand away from home on a evening in St James's Park with the team playing well I think that that is certainly a, a, a big club in in terms of the definition we're using here but you know against any of the big sides apart from Chelsea who basically gifted it to Arsenal with a couple of mistakes when Enketia scored and they beat them 4-2 Arsenal have been rubbish away from home against the bigger teams in the division and uh, that's a problem and whether that's to do with the fact they've got young players They've got a young goalkeeper who seems to be one of their leaders, Aaron Ramsdale, but he's still only, I think, 23 years of age, 24. Saka, 
is exceptionally young. Martinelli, Smith Rowe, these are all young, young players. And even the centre-backs, you're looking at like Rob Holding, who of course got sent off, so didn't play. Um, but he's, what, 26? And he's considered one of the elder statesmen of the team. Yeah. So maybe there's maybe there's kind of uh, an issue there or something that needs to be addressed there. I wouldn't call it an issue, but something that can only be fixed with time, as you say. Yeah, and I think, you know, if if you look at last season to this season, there's been progression in points, in, in places, um, in terms of like the, the league position sort of thing. And if they can improve that much next season again, you know, they could they could be in the Champions League. And this will come with a couple of smart signings and a couple of uh, a couple of more sort of experiences like this, like last night. I think it could really. Um, I think they're still going the right direction. It's it's just it's not over for Arsenal at all. Um, what I didn't understand was probably the most experienced guy in the squad, Granite Xhaka, went on Sky Sports last night and gave an interview where. He basically called out his entire squad, and I just thought you are the thickest person I've ever ever seen play a game of football. For a guy that experienced to go, you've you've got to have the balls to come and play for Arsenal. What you? I don't get that. You you, what is it? What was it? Eight months ago, something like that. He started sticking his fingers up and telling his own crowd to, off. and it's like you, you're talking about lack of experience and a lack of lack of balls in certain situations. And you're the one who's like 29, 30 years old and you've been, you know, stinking the place out for for years on end. Just stealing a wage, basically. And then you're going out and saying, oh, these, you know, some of these players aren't ready and stuff like that. Well, I mean, you're still fifth in the league and you, and you as, a, as an older player, has been part of a team which had Aubameyang, had Lacazette, had all sorts of, all, all sorts of talent um, and, and couldn't even get within a sniff of fifth so to come out and then say oh well you know these you've got to have this to play for Arsenal like he's talking as if he's Thierry Henry and he's leaving the club at the end of the season like he hasn't got that sort of status but he's thought oh well we need a strong character here we need I think he's misread the situation I think that could that could damage them even more because if you're if you're Bakayo Saka or Smith Rowe or or Martinelli and, and one of the senior or Nketiah who's who's trying his best up front was probably Arsenal's best player last night in Ketia. But if you're that young and one of your senior players is is openly questioning everyone like that, and they'll all they'll all have seen this interview as well on social media and stuff like that. Um I just think it's hugely counterproductive and an almost typical Arsenal of of shooting themselves in the foot when they didn't need to. All right, quickly then, let's talk about Newcastle and Eddie Howe. And we'll sp- we'll speak about Newcastle a little bit later on as well when it comes to Eddie Howe because there's some interesting transfer rumours doing the rounds, which we'll come on to shortly. Um, I just think, kind of off the back of that conversation, you look at Mikel Arteta and the reception and reaction he gets from some of the Arsenal fans. Would Eddie Howe have been a better fit for Arsenal going in there? There's a question. We won't talk about that now, though. I wanted to ask you, Marley, about next season. Just quickly, give us a little snapshot of how you're feeling about what would be considered a successful season next season is it still too early to tell or have the Newcastle fans set an expectation is it top 10 is it Europe what what do you think uh, um I can't speak for all Newcastle fans but for me personally I'd I'd just be happy with a, a comfortable top 10 finish um where we win you know we keep this home form up and we beat we beat most teams at home except maybe you know the, the best teams and the the sort of top six um, and yeah, just uh, just getting that top um, 
top ten, get fifty points would be would be really nice. Um, and sign some sign some quality in the summer as well. We need a couple of areas strengthening. Uh, we need to probably try and make Matt targets um loan a permanent, um, and another probably another striker and, a, and another winger as well. Um, and then go from there and see what happens because we we can ride this this wave of form into into next season. I think there's no team I don't think that's got more momentum in the Premier League than us. Um, probably exclude Man City and Liverpool from that because they, they don't need the momentum. They know how good they are. But in terms of, of like ambition and stuff like that, there's not many in, in the Premier League that can match the, the good mood around around our club right now. And that's what we need to need to focus on, need to build on and use it as a platform to to become a real sort of force. Okay, well, talking about good mood around the club, certainly an interesting mood around Chelsea at the moment. There's confusion over what the situation is regarding their ownership. We won't talk about that too much next, but we will talk about someone who potentially could be signing for Chelsea. Will they even be able to make any signings next season? We'll talk about it after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast, of which there are only six days left of the campaign. Every single day of this Premier League season, we've brought you a brand new show. So if you've been with us every step of the way, thank you so much. We really appreciate you listening in every single day day you can hit subscribe and you won't miss an episode again during the summer we'll be down to three episodes a week so you'll still be getting your premier league fix including all the latest top flight transfer news which will bring you every other day on this podcast but we're not going to wait till then we're going to start right now because there are some really big rumors doing the rounds including certain robert Lewandowski, the legendary Bayern munich striker supposedly joel is on chelsea's radar my first question would be before we even get into the nuts and bolts of this potential signing is it hard at the moment to picture Chelsea signing anyone at this moment in time due to the ownership situation, which is still rumbling on? Yeah, I think day by day, it's hard to picture what's going to happen at Chelsea this summer. I think all their players as well are starting to wonder, well, what's the actual situation going to be? Because the only players who are able to actually get out of the club have been obviously Rudiger and Christensen because of their contract situations. But both of them have come out and said that it's nothing to do with the situation off the field. It's purely just... I don't know what it was in terms of personal terms or in terms of just feeling like they needed to move on again. Um, but in an ideal world for them, if everything kind of goes to plan and they can actually you know, participate in the summer window as they usually would, Robin Lewandowski is like the most Chelsea striker I've ever seen in my life in terms of stature, <laughs> in terms of name, in terms of everything, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a Hernan Crespo kind of player where he's won everything. <laughs> it's quite funny because... We were only discussing this yesterday, kind of theoretically, in, in the office, weren't we? Um, just kind of saying, can you imagine Robert Lewandowski, if he was going to come to the Premier League, it would probably be somewhere like Chelsea. But, you know, lo and behold, this morning, there's a story doing the rounds on the back pages that Robert Lewandowski could could sign for Chelsea. But you're right, it's got Chelsea written all over it. And I think it's because they have in the past, they've gone for the likes of Morata, Higuain, Crespo, Shevchenko, uh, or Diego Costa, these other strikers, Torres, you know, there's so many of them you can name that were top strikers at the time when they signed them. And sadly for them, probably about 40% of them actually work out, so it's not really a tried and tested system that's full of successful stories. Uh, But for him, it does seem like he's nailed on for Barcelona. Um, 
but the only situation Chelsea have is the fact that they do have the small problem of the 100, well, the big 100 million pound problem, which is Romelu Lukaku, whose future is completely up in the air at the moment. And let's just ignore the off the field side. Let's say they are allowed to buy and sell in the next few weeks. Honestly, I definitely see him going back to Italy 100%. Whether it's a case that Inter actually pay the money to actually get him out of there then that's another story in itself because that's the reason why they sold him um but i think if they do manage to let go of lukaku it won't be a case of having both both of them at the club then they should definitely be in for him but i think it's a difficult time for chelsea now because they probably can't even put in plans in place because they don't know what budget they're working with they don't know what plans they have they don't know what the strategy is so now they're losing ground on every other club in europe because i'm sure barcelona have spoken to uh, pino zahavi who's Lewandowski's agent i'm sure they've given him a contract i'm sure they've spoke at length for months whereas chelsea are kind of a ducking ducking the water at the moment they can't really move they don't know what the actual steps are next so for them they might end up falling behind to a point where they're going to miss out on all of these well this this summer i'm going to call it the summer of free agents because they're absolutely everywhere when you look at you know Kylian mbappe uh, paul pogba obviously you've got Lewandowski, Ousmane Dembele, it's going to be an absolute ridiculous merry-go-round of just free transfers and massive fees, but um, if there's ever a striker that suited Chelsea, it is Robert Lewandowski, and I think he, if he went there, he would be a success, purely just because he's so technical on the ball, he could be a number 10, he's that technical, um, and I think at Chelsea, you do need to be that kind of Drogba type player who can actually play the ball a little bit, I think the the players who failed at Chelsea are the ones who are just complete out and out strikers who don't get involved in play. Similar to how you know Matthias Kesman. Um, you know, <laughs> what a name! And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was quality. He was a Mourinho signing as well a long time ago. Um, Adrian Mutu, but that didn't go so well for Chelsea. Yeah, that was a bit of a strain. <laughs> we won't go into that too much. Um, but yeah, all the strikers who are a little bit more out and out strikers who would adapt in a different system. They don't seem to adapt there, and I think uh, Lewandowski would definitely be a good signing, but it seems as though he's nailed on with Barcelona now. And I think one of the reasons why he's wanted to leave is purely because Bayern were dragging the heels in terms of the Haaland situation. I think they didn't want to give him too much of a bigger contract because I think he's, what, 34 now. He wants a two-year contract. And I don't know why clubs even drag the heels in this situation because players are getting better and better as they get older as we've seen with Karim Benzema we've seen with Ibrahimovic Ronaldo if they Thiago look after Silva. them yeah Thiago mm. Silva if they look after themselves they're playing if, probably the best football of their lives Robert Lewandowski's best two seasons have come age 33 and 34 so you know I, I would definitely take a punt it's not even a punt it's a guarantee pretty much because he's world class he'd be welcome in the Premier League doesn't matter who he plays for he'd be more than welcome I mean we always want to see the best players in the world applying their trade in the Premier League and if reports are to be believed Robert Lewandowski is on Chelsea's radar that doesn't mean that Chelsea are going to sign him Barcelona allegedly are also in the race we do know that Lewandowski will more than likely be leaving Bayern Munich this summer as for Chelsea just a little update there if you're interested in what is going on with the ownership situation it was agreed on the 14th so what three days ago now that an American consortium fronted by Todd Burley will be taken over the club um, however, the government, who are obviously overseeing the issue at Chelsea because Roman Abramovich, the previous owner, had Chelsea as an asset, as one of his businesses, that was seized, and, though it went un- and so it went under government stewardship. 
basically Abramovich promised that any profit or proceeds he would gain from the sale of Chelsea Football Club would be given to charitable causes. The government now say they can't be sure that Abramovich will honour that promise of giving the money to charitable causes. So there are question marks over this takeover deal as things stand at the moment. So as Joel rightly says, it is very much a day by day situation at Chelsea, something to continuously keep your eye on uh, uh, if you are interested in that. So any big news from Chelsea regarding a guaranteed takeover and, and Abramovich's decisions um being true to their word, we'll bring you that news here on the podcast, of course. But that was the story from one of the pages uh, of a newspaper today, Marley. Another involves your club, Newcastle United. It comes from Marca, the infamous Spanish sports newspaper. And they say that Newcastle United will look to tempt Jose Mourinho to St. James's Park this summer, despite Eddie Howe's success as Newcastle United manager. <laughs> This is why nobody uh, listens to Marker, and nobody should listen to Marker. It's um, it's synonymous with absolute rubbish, uh, Marker. Um, they love a headline. It's it's like the English press on steroids. It's you know they, they'll just pump. Up. I'm pretty sure they've got a, a tombola with just names and clubs in it, <laughs> and they just pull pull something out. But this this has 100% come from the um, the the. Uh, interview that Jose Mourinho did last week with uh, with Roma, um, talking about his his time in in Italy and talking about the the state of the Premier League and stuff. He, he talked about his ex clubs. Um, he talked about um, his his earlier career, um, and he mentioned Bobby Robson. He mentioned how he started off as a translator with Bobby Robson, and he mentioned uh, that Newcastle were. We're doing well, and he liked he liked to see it, and he liked he always had respect for for Newcastle because of the Bobby Robson connection. Um, and this is this is this is not new. This is this happens this happens all the time. Every time Mourinho comes to play Newcastle with Chelsea or with with Spurs or with Man United, he would always say something nice in the build up, and he'd say like it's an amazing stadium, amazing place. They really love uh, the you know love the. Um, the club there, and I know all about it because of spending time with with Mr. Robson, um, as his as his translator at Barcelona and at, at Porto earlier, like in the sort of early nineties, I think it was. Um, so that that's that's the link. And to be honest, I actually I've, I said this a few years ago, and you, you tend to get laughed at a bit, but um, when I've always thought one day Mourinho, I think, will manage Newcastle because of the Bobby Robson link, um, and he was. I think when when Bobby came to Newcastle in uh, 1999, I think it was, um, he he wanted to bring Mourinho as his assistant and give Mourinho the the management of the club when he retired. Um, and Mourinho said once, um, like fairly recently, he said he offered me that, but I didn't come. Um, I didn't come with him because he would never walk away from Newcastle. He would never retire because he, he, his love for the club was too strong. So he said that um, I can't wait for him to retire because he he'll be, he'd be there until you know until he was on his deathbed. He would never never leave the club. And as it turned out, Mourinho then got his first job in management. I think he went to um, 
was it Belenenses or so? It was one of the smaller clubs, yeah. And he did really well, and he ended up at then getting the um, the Porto job, and and the rest is history, you know. So um, everyone made the the right decision then. But he's always had that respect for the club, and this is where Marker have, have pulled it from. It's probably a quiet Monday in Spain, not much to talk about with the uh, the league being done and stuff like that, and. Um, the Champions League final still a little bit of time away, so they're probably filling column inches, and they've looked around Europe and gone, oh, that could be interesting. Let's let's link an Italian manager, uh, a Portuguese manager managing in Italy with an English club, which has nothing to do with the uh, Spanish press at all. But yeah, that's that's marker all over. To be fair, yeah, I think with what Jose Mourinho has been saying recently about his time in Rome and how that Roma are a giant club who haven't really been able to um, realise their potential and the tears that he shed in getting Roma to the Europa Conference League final when they beat Leicester. I think it seems a bit strange for the two to be linked, especially in the in the sort of the midst of a European final that Roma have. But as you say, just newspaper reports at the moment coming from market in Spain. We're going to zoom back to Manchester now where Ilkay Gundogan is allegedly allowed to leave Manchester City this summer. He's Currently in Rome, actually, ironically enough, he's taken a two-day break with his fiance, according to reporters, and he has struggled with injury this season. He had a brilliant campaign last year. I think he was City's joint top scorer last season in all competitions, Ilkay Gundogan. Um, uh, the, the talk is, Joel, that he could be allowed to leave. Um, he's going to have a chat with Pep Guardiola after the end of the season. Um, that might look like another Premier League title for City at this moment in time. Let's say Gundogan does move on. How much of a loss is that going to be for Manchester City? Well, first of all, isn't it absolutely amazing that City can just move on these types of quality players and just be fine with it? Because I think he would get in probably 18 of the 19 of the other sides, maybe just not Liverpool's, but he would get in every other midfield in the Premier League easily. Um, so it just shows just how competition is so fierce at that City squad because there's even been talk of you know Riyad Mahrez maybe being moved on or Sterling if he doesn't get guaranteed playtime so it's just so competitive that literally no one is safe there um, but I think he's just been such a, a, an unreal signing for City because after he'd had those two seasons with Klopp he had a really bad back injury which pretty much put him out of football for about a year and a half and he got linked with Manchester United a few times and it just didn't look like his career was going to get kick-started again. It was similar in the in the way that Mario Goetz has started to tail off a little bit. And then suddenly at City, he's just been absolutely unreal. He's been probably one of their best players in the last two to three years. Um, that's why I'm quite surprised that he actually wants to move on. But I think it's the same with Bernardo Silva. Last year, he really wanted to go and I think Guardiola managed to convince him to stay for another year. So I think there's going to be a lot of transition period at City this summer in terms of like moving out of the old guard and bringing in fresh new ideas for Guardiola. But um, I mean, he would get into majority of European top sides, wouldn't he? I think I've heard that Real Madrid might be potentially interested just as having someone who can fill a bit of a gap in their squad for um, you know Modric who can't play every single week. But it's, I mean, this is this is this is what it just shows. They'll end up bringing in another probably sixty million pound midfielder to replace him, and that's the privilege Guardiola has. It's not like every other side can do that, where they can get rid of such a top talent and probably bring in someone who's equally as good. And um, they're probably one of the only top sides in Europe that can do that. So it's going to be interesting to see who they actually bring in or if there's any truth to it. But it wouldn't surprise me. 
um, just because City are in the capabilities to do that, to move on top players and bring in top players very easily. Well, Ilkay Gundogan, it's not confirmed that he will be moving on from Manchester City, but he's been told he is allowed to leave, according to the latest reports around Manchester City. That will do us for the transfer news for now. But as I said earlier on, if you hit subscribe that way, you won't miss another podcast. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more transfer gossip along very similar lines between now and the start of next season, which of course is at the beginning of August. So we've got a whole summer to get through and it should be a busy one when it comes to transfer rumours. However, who will start next season as Premier League champions? Will it be Manchester City or will it be Liverpool? Liverpool need to upkeep their end of the bargain tonight in their Premier League game against Southampton. If they lose, Manchester City are champions. We'll talk about it next after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Welcome back. My name's Niall. I've got Marley and Joel with me. And there is a game in the Premier League tonight. And it's a big game as well. It's the only one on offer. It's Southampton versus Liverpool at St. Mary's Stadium. Saints can deny Liverpool the chance to win the, the Premier League title if they beat them tonight. And they will in turn hand the title to Manchester City who will defend their crown. If Liverpool beat Southampton or draw with them, the title race goes down to the final day. I suppose for a neutral, you'd be wanting Southampton um, to lose to Liverpool tonight, Marley, because then it goes down to the final day and that adds to the excitement. But um, Southampton fans, I'm sure, will be happy to to party poop Liverpool's chances and give the title to City. So it's an interesting tussle set up tonight, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Um, but I, I can't see Southampton holding, a, <laughs> holding anything against, uh, against Liverpool, to be honest. I think Liverpool know that um, they have to win. It's uh, the the draw with Man City at the weekend with West Ham is is something that, like, sort of probably reignited Liverpool a little bit when they they probably didn't even need it in the first place. But I think um, going down to to the last day is something that they all want. And I can't see like Southampton have been on such a slide in recent weeks as well. Like they've they've been poor for for weeks. I think they've only won you know two out of the last seven or eight or something like that. And um, they you know they're they're struggling really um they're still not that far away from the relegation places that they can't they won't go down they can't I don't think they can go down but um it's you know 40 points four points um above everton in 17th only six points above burnley i think if you're looking at that and then you're saying if you're looking at city and and thinking southampton needs to do us a favor it's uh it's a long shot, to be honest, but it'll probably go down to the last uh, last day, and I think it deserves to go down to the last day as well, with with how fine the margin is between the two sides. And uh, if uh, if it gets settled by a point, I think that that's about right, to be honest. I think I can see Liverpool absolutely smashing Southampton tonight, yeah, um, and and preparing for for the uh, the Champions League final and stuff, and and the last day in in fine style, to be honest. Yeah. Um, can't see Southampton doing anything. If, if Ward Prowse scores a free kick, <laughs> you know Salah will probably score three at the other end. So it's, uh, <laughs> I, I re- really can't see anything for Southampton. I'd be very, very shocked if it if it turned out anything other than a comfortable uh, away win. But it's funny there you mentioned um, Gundogan going on holiday for two days. That that just uh, shows you how much faith Guardiola's got in uh, in 
the title being wrapped up tonight because normally there'd be a party, wouldn't there? There'd be a party around someone's house, they'd all be watching it, but they've probably looked at it and gone, it's Southampton, it's at home, they're going to get absolutely smashed. <laughs> Ilkay, you, you can go to Rome for a couple of days, we'll see you on Thursday. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Salah a minute ago. Him and Van Dijk are expected to be rested after coming off with, you know, niggles in the uh, FA Cup final against Chelsea. And you mentioned about how the title... Um, is is probably going to head towards Manchester City. The goal difference, I think, is eight at the moment in favour of Man City. So you'd suggest that was insurmountable, but Southampton have got a tendency to lose games 9-0. And can you imagine if that happened again tonight um, and then the title went down to the final final day? It'd be crazy. Uh, I want to ask you about Jurgen Klopp, Joel. He was moaning in his pre-match press conference. That's when is he not, not a shock. Moaning? Yeah, precisely. That's not a surprise. And he was moaning about fixture congestion. Also, not a surprise. His side have played every game available to them this season by the Community Shield. It's remarkable. Well over 60 games. He's moaning about the scheduling of the fact that this game was put on a Tuesday night when it could have been played on a Thursday. I don't think the game sh- uh, could have been played on Wednesday night because it's the UEFA Europa League final. So that takes precedent. And I think UEFA are keen that no other domestic games take place on that day so people can focus solely on the Europa League final. So his argument was, why wasn't it moved to Thursday? Do you think he has a point? Because I personally don't. And I'll explain why. I understand what he's talking about with the fixture congestion. But as we've said all season, to win all competitions, you need to be in all of the games. I mean, this just how it goes. That's kind of the the, the the Jekyll and Hyde nature of of being a successful team. You take the pros and the cons. The pros are you can win everything. The cons are you have to play loads of games, and it you know has an impact on player welfare. Secondly, yes, they had to play 120 minutes on Saturday, and I understand why he's concerned that the game comes around on Tuesday pretty quickly. But the difference between Saturday and Thursday is four days. The difference between Tuesday and Sunday, which incidentally is their next game after Southampton, is four days. So actually, really, Jürgen, it doesn't matter whether the game was on Tuesday or Thursday, because you're still going to have a four-day gap between any two games. And I know his point is they played 120 minutes in the FA Cup and they needed more time to rest, but it's just a case of get on with it, isn't it? My heart bleeds for him. My God, this is what happens when you're in the race for all titles you have to play games in quick succession i mean when you look at the manchester united side in 1999 they were playing a game every two to three days in may to have to go through you know the premier league games do the fa cup the champions league there was no let up whatsoever and that's that's just part of the parcel of having to compete for everything it's a nice privilege to have and like you say four days is actually pretty generous i would say Considering they're still in all uh, all three competitions still, and they're still on all four uh, all three fronts, I don't re- I really don't see what the argument is for that to be honest. Um, and when you've seen every other club who's had to fight on all title fronts in the past, they've probably had it even worse than Liverpool have in terms of um, having to recover and having to go again in May. May is typically an always congested uh, fixture period. It doesn't even matter what competitions you're in. But one thing I do disagree with is the fact that the FA Cup was slap bang in the middle of all the Premier League fixtures. I just, I'll never understand that, and I'm sure 
that is mentally taxing to, you know, do a final, then kind of rejig yourself to get back into the Premier League flow and you played 120 minutes. It's not normal to be doing that in the middle of all your Premier League fixtures. So with that, I do have a slight bit of sympathy. But I do think the fact that Van Dijk, um, Salah and maybe Fabinho are potentially out, I think that's definitely added to his worries just because, of course, they're pretty much his three key players. Um, and he'll be probably bitter with the fact that he doesn't have enough time for them to recover or that he thinks the FA are against him because he doesn't have enough time to actually, you know, get his team back into shape. But it's part of football. You have if you're if you want to go for all four titles like like what is being suggested, you have to be prepared for the fixture list to be very congested. And you also have to make sure that you have a squad depth. And they have squad depth. So there's no worries about that. So for me, again, it's just another Jurgen one oh one complaining about absolutely everything. You can tell he's never been in a situation where he's had to fight for all the titles, so um, I'll let him off on this occasion. But yeah, I mean, what a privilege to be in. I mean, you could be you could be us and having to not get into the Conference League on Sunday. So. <laughs> well, I agree about the FA Cup. I certainly think this should be after the season's finished. Um, but you know, modern football is the way it is. Jurgen Klopp's obviously annoyed about it. I can understand why, but this stage of the season, it's just a case of. Get on with it, man. Just get on with it. Because they're good enough to do it. Yeah, some Liverpool fans will be screaming at the podcast now going, oh, we shouldn't have to put up with it. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it goes. That is the way it goes. That's the way it goes when you're a successful football team. But anyway, Liverpool on the road tonight, down on the south coast against Southampton. Um, City can win the title if Southampton beat Liverpool a draw or a win for the Reds and Jurgen Klopp's side take the title race to the final day which is next Sunday the 22nd of May we will be done for another Premier League season but before then make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss any of the podcasts leading up to that day including our final dugout of the season featuring former Premier League professionals we'll also next week be looking at our Football Social Daily Awards who deserves the prizes from this season's top flight football. But from myself, Joel and Marley, that is it for today. And we'll catch you again tomorrow here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.